welcome to what is now the third episode of the I Stand Messina podcast. I am your host, Tony, and it's been, it's been a long time, might I admit. Um, that's my fault, you know, I've just been busy. Um, but I am back, and we are going to be far more consistent, not only on the Instagram, but definitely on here, because this is kind of what I enjoy honestly more than the Instagram page, but, you know, I will be active on both. Okay, so, uh, I want to start with the Messina fact of the day, um, before I get into the film, which you, obviously, if you click on this, you know what movie this is about, um, but I want to get with the Messina fact of the day, and I think, um, I, I think that, uh, one big characteristic of her as an actress was her height. <laughs> um, everybody knew that she was a smaller human, smaller woman. And um, But I feel like, for example, a movie like Knights of Kiberia, Fellini really plays up her height, or plays down her height. Per- I don't know, no, he plays it up. Because he really does use um, shorter people. Or taller people to really emphasize how small she is. But yeah, so, um, I feel like they really played in, in up her, her height because, um, you know, even in La Strada, it, it is a central point in the plot and just to symbolize, you know, her vulnerability, um, you know, how, how I suppose she's less or beneath these people and the height is just another emphasis of that, you know? In La Strada, makes her look more childlike, more vulnerable, perhaps. And in Knights of Kiberia, it makes her look more vulnerable and, like, less than. You know, she's like a short, stubby person. Whereas, you know, everyone else looks more elegant and, you know, more lavish and maybe (laughs) more nourished. Maybe that's why she's so short. I mean, if you look at some of those scenes in Knights of Kiberia, you would think she was, like, a little person, but she's really not. It feels like, oh my god, the Italians must be the tallest group of people in the world. But no, it's just, that's just how they shot all these scenes, too. Just to emphasize how small she was, which I think, very interesting of Fellini to, to pull off. Anyways, um, I want to, so the hi- fact, I, I even said we're high, she's only 5'2", which kind of shocked me. I thought she was like 4'11". Because time two is short, but it's not like how short she looked. She looked absurdly short, <clears throat> and I, I was like, "Damn, only five two. Okay. Anyways, let's get into the film of the day, which is if you you already know if you read the title of Human Bond of Human Bondage, the nineteen thirty four film. I believe this gets remade. Um few years, not a few years later, but sometime down the road, and that one wasn't as good in half, I would say, <clears throat> arguably, no, I think it's remade twice, but I think that's arguably the greatest actress of all time, although this is called I Stand Messina, maybe it could have also been called I Stand Betty Davis, or Betty Davis Eyes, or something like that, I don't know, um, who's perhaps the greatest actress of all time, she's definitely top two. Um, I, I think, I think Julia Messina clears Catherine Hepburn, but that's for another, um, podcast. Um, but yeah, let's get into this movie, Human Bondage. Now, it's a short movie, 
It's only 83 minutes, if I'm being honest. It's a shorter, it's on the shorter side, but I would say it's just as good as, um, as any longer movie. And I think this is definitely a movie where if they really wanted, they could have just added 20 minutes of filler and it would have been just fine because this movie really doesn't, this movie is very entertaining. Like it, for, you know, a movie that's mostly dialogue, like most better films are, <laughs> um, I would say. Uh, you know, they're mostly dialogue, you know, very well-written screenplays here. Oh, this isn't a screenplay. This is, or, it's a screen, but it's based on, I would say loosely on the novel, because a lot of people say the novel goes more in-depth on certain things, but, um, um, I think the novel is written as though it's an autobiography. I think I read that. Um, I think it's interesting. Um... But, but the movie, I love the concept of the movie. I think it applies, it'll always apply as long as um, men and women are interacting, <laughs> I suppose. Um, yeah. Anyways, so let's get into, let's get into the film. So this film stars Betty Davis, of course, and uh, Leslie Howard, uh, and, uh, Frances D, uh, is also in the movie, um, she isn't as big a player, a lot of people might not even know who the fuck Frances D is, but <laughs> she's in this movie, um, <clears throat> also in this movie, I believe, is, oh god, I can't remember his name, um, dude looks like, oh, I can't remember his name, anyways, but, this movie has this movie's cast is pretty good because Leslie Howard unfortunately passed away early. Very good actor, and so was Betty Davis. So they, the casting was pretty good. I think Leslie Howard was an excellent um, choice in casting. This film just emphasizes Betty Davis's, um, I suppose, range uh, as an actress because you know if you watch Jezebel, she's a Southern belle. You watch All About Eve, she is a um, you know, uh, a fading actress, kind of like playing herself, but she does play Margot Channing. Oh, God, I cannot imagine Claudette Colbert playing that. <laughs> I think Claude, I, honestly, oh God, this is a hot take. I think this, I think Betty Davis's performance in this movie is better than Claudette Colbert's in Happen One Night. I love the movie. It's one of my personal favorites at Happen One Night, but I think this movie is just... I'm not gonna say it's better. It's not long enough, maybe. Maybe that's the thing with shorter movies like this or like this movie's better than the white chic, which is another short the movie is a Fellini movie. This is directed, if I'm not mistaken, by uh, John Cromwell. Um but um yeah, so it, if this was um maybe twenty minutes longer I would say it's better than it happened one night. I like the concept I like the movie better, honestly. <laughs> I really do like it happen when I mostly because of Clark Gable. I think Claudette Colbert's performance is vastly overrated in that movie. But that's um that's a maybe a subject for another day or maybe at the end I'll go more into that why I think her performance is overrated. I, you know what? Okay, we'll get into that maybe at the end. Um but no, so let's get into to this movie. Um so it's, it's the main character is a guy named Philip um, who, he, he was, he's originally an artist, um, but 
I believe his art teacher tells him, like, you know, this really isn't for you, blah, blah, blah. So he ends up, you know, returning to medical school and, um, and, 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 but his whole, you know, personality and, um, his negativity and his pessimism and his skepticism of his, and his self-doubt, I guess it's a better word, um, he can't, he's struggling in school. As in one scene, and towards the start, of, uh, in the beginning of the movie, um, you see him kind of really self-doubting himself when they're talking about uh, um, some sort of procedure with somebody, some sort of. They, they asked him to explain it to the class, and he was very slow to get to it. Um, and then they, I think, they brought up his club foot, and that is something his character is very insecure about. Now, I think this is a beautiful thing to add. Um, which makes me want to read the novel because of the novel um, I think this is really brilliant of the novelist um, uh, I believe William Somerset um, is the name of the novelist you know I think that um, this is a great thing to add from him because you know um, I think everybody has that little insecure insecurity or multiple insecurities and you know it holds a lot of people back and it's like that monkey on you know the monkey on everyone's back and um for him it's his club foot it's very especially in those days you know i think people were maybe less kind less tolerant of it anyways of you know that or anything you know so he you know it's something that really does deeply you know bother him and no one really shows him pity for it they shouldn't but no one really, no one at all shows him pity, so, you know, that bothers him. Anyways, I believe a, a buddy of his at school introduces him to uh, this beautiful um, tea room waitress. A lot of people are going to say beautiful. He said that he did this was ugly. You know, people are just stupid. Um, so, anyways, they introduce to this beautiful uh, tea room waitress named Mildred. Oh, God, that is a disgusting name might I admit but you know what she she's rude she's rude she's a she's a bitch she's maybe one of the rudest people ever in the film and she's just outright rude it's not slot she's just rude to him she's bad to him um oh god that reminds me of a song is it she's bad to me she's bad for, I can't remember the name of the song but that's what it kind of reminds me of that like how bad she's a really bad person um anyways um he is very interested in her though like he falls in love it was like love at first sight from he's very interested in her although she has another suitor also in the tea room an older man that's maybe more financially established I suppose um he's madly infatuated with her and you know he pretty much presses her for dates and whatever but she's very rude and cruel and manipulative she's terrible um and she does use this phrase i believe it's i don't mind or like it's very like whatever basically saying whatever every time you know he invites her on a date or you know 
progresses romantically. And it, it bothers him. Um, and she, you know, obviously plays that up because she's a bad person. She, she, she always says, oh, I don't mind. I don't like that type of attitude. I don't mind. And, um, yeah, so it, it really does bother him. And, um, he also tends to, in the movie, which I think this is something this movie did very well of. This is a movie that was, came out in 1934. So it's a pre-code film. This movie is old. We're just out of the silent era. Um, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, oh, God, what's the name of that Charlie Chaplin movie? Oh, God. Um, uh, I'll tell you right now, actually. I can't remember the name of the Charlie Chaplin movie. It's called... It's called City Lights. Hello? Uh, City Lights literally is only three years old at this point. It is a new movie. Um, <laughs> like, uh, I guess it's the equivalent almost to like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is like only a few years old right now, but it's like what, two, two years old right now. So it's like the equivalent of that. So this movie's fresh and they do very well, very well put together um little scene like animations like of like a date a dream like they show like the dream like in a bubble they do a very good job of like the daydream to having her show up like the the anime whoever did pff, relative to era that is a 10 out of 10 today wouldn't even look bad today it was very well like today it would look good it would look fine with no one would bat an eye um so yeah uh, anyways, that she's very distracted because that's all, all, you know, that's all he could really think about. And I thought that was, I, I really was like shocked by first. I was like, damn, this is very well done for like a movie that came out that's almost a hundred years old. So this is an eighty-seven-year-old movie. Um, anyway, so eventually, you know, they get to the. Oh, he fails his medical exam, like his med medical midterm during the test. He's thinking about her, and there, and and he knows he's gonna fail. You know, he fails, and, um, but, you know, she, he doesn't care, that's, she's all he can think about, and eventually, I suppose, he progressed a little bit, you know, romantically, and, you know, eventually, he works it up the, he sells, like, a bunch of stuff, I believe he sold something, you know, he, he, <laughs> um, he buys, he buys a, her a wedding ring, and he proposes, to which she declines, and, um, she tells him, no, that she's gonna marry the uh, the competition, um, yeah, like the the guy who uh, was also in the tea room, the other suitor who he would see every day, who even approaches him in the movie and says, "You gotta be more masculine, basically, if you want a chance." You know, kind of playing him down because he doesn't see him as a threat, which is you know, uh, he, <laughs> there's really nothing, I suppose, um, Philip can do about it because that's just not in his nature. He's still very insecure very sensitive person, anyways, um, she, I believe she, um, berates him, insults him, um, for proposing, you know, I, she didn't see him that way at all, she doesn't see him in any way, if we're being completely honest, um, so anyways, eventually he, uh, he, te after a while, by the way, this whole thing, Mildred and the other guy goes south very fast, I believe she ends up on the street, very fast, and she ends up, oh, I'm sorry, she ends up pregnant, <laughs> yeah, she, she, she ends up pregnant, and that, the guy leaves her, 
Um, yeah. Anyways. Because uh, he's like, why, why should I take care of that? Whatever. Why should I take care of a pregnant woman? The child's not mine. Blah, blah, blah. Whatever. So, but Philip at the time, he had started to forget her. And he got involved with a uh, very good woman. Um, I believe her name was Nora. She was a very good woman. She was very considerate, very caring, working, had a real job. I think she was a writer. Um, and she was slowly helping him get off of uh, Mildred, thankfully. But just as it appears, you know, that this is going to go somewhere, this is going to, that him and Nora, nope. Mildred returns pregnant, claiming that the the other dude um and her cut it off that he had done her dirty whatever so then philip's hooked again on her he breaks up breaks it off with nora siding um uh siding that uh he's 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 hooked he um he's like of human bondage he's in bondage to He's bound to uh, Mildred, um, and he can't help it, basically. And he lets her stay. I actually, I can't. I think he gets her an apartment, or he lets her stay with him and takes care of her, takes care of her financially. Um, yeah, pretty much is <laughs> what happened. Uh, Philip, I believe, in the movie, his plan was that he would. Um, look after her child and marry her but she doesn't want that so she gives up the baby to, to, to someone else like a nurse or something and she goes back doing whatever um so he invites in the movie a guy to entertain Mildred which is kind of weird um and it's at one of Philip's friends that he knows that, you know, she thinks fondly of. Because he's a nice dude. He's a funny dude. He's, oh, you know, he always makes you laugh. Let's bring him along to, like, a party. I believe they were engaged at this point. Her and Philip are engaged. But the problem is, um, Philip confronts his buddy saying, do you like her? He says, no, no, not at all, not at all. He says, well, um, don't, you have a lot, don't take her from me, whatever. And the guy says, no, don't worry. But as it turns out, the guy, um, the guy writes her a letter. Um, Philip confronts Mildred saying, oh, he doesn't, do you like the guy? She said, well, yes, I do. And, uh, um, well, he says, well, Philip says, well, he doesn't like you. And then she shows him a letter saying otherwise from, uh, Griffiths is the guy's name. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, they run off. I believe they plan to run off to Paris together and, uh. Yeah, they run off together. Um, so this is the second time she's run off on Philip um, with another guy. Yeah, you think he'd learn his lesson. We move. Um, anyway, so he pretty much then gets more deeply into his studies. And he, um, he ends up being very friendly with one of his patients in a hospital. And I believe it's a charity hospital. The guy makes a funny joke. He says can't believe I've ended up in, like, a charity hospital or whatever. 
them. That family is very, very, very um, friendly. And they take care of him. They take, they bring Philip in. They let him, you know, they eat. They give him food, and he becomes very friendly and romantically um, with the man's daughter, and he's all for it. <laughs> um, but um, once again, after this is done. You know, Philip, I believe at this point, um, gets a job, uh, whatever, um, working with, I want to say he has a job by this point, or I might be wrong, but, um, you know, working for the guys, for the, for the patient, for his patient's, um, company or something, his little business there, I want to say that's what it is, but anyways, he has, a, they took care of him, though, that family was very kind towards him, very kind. Mildred comes back again, um, and this time she's all, she's very remorseful, and Philip, she's very remorseful, this is the most remorseful she appears to be in the whole movie, um, and Philip just cannot resist the urge to bring her in, and he does, he, he cannot, he cannot resist, you know, protecting her, and, um, yeah, then eventually she she really tries to pull out the, the tricks on him one that she dresses up and you know she tries to really you know pull the trick on him saying she you know she i don't think she says she loves it. She, I, don't, I think she does and you know and he's like really not having because by now i feel like he's kind of understood that yeah she's just playing me and um finally he stands up to her he says he delivers uh, a very devastating you disgust me which is um and then we get uh, this scene itself is great but then we get maybe <laughs> one of Betty Davis's finest moments on screen with the wipe my mouth little monologue she gives um when she says um I wipe my mouth wipe my mouth after you would kiss me and all that and um then she says you gimpy legged uh, monster you're a cripple 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 and um, and I will say, although Betty Davis steals this scene, Leslie Howard, you know, does a ton of little subtle things every time the camera flips back to him, his voice, the whole scene, it's amazing. Um, it's amazing. This scene, I think, is, this scene alone, this like two minute scene and it's one minute, it's a one minute Betty Davis dialogue, uh, monologue, I'm sorry, is worth watching the entire movie. The movie itself is like 120 something minutes, like very, 120, not too much higher minutes, like 123, 122 minutes, very short movie. That scene, this like, this is like a, in total, the whole scene I think itself is like two minutes. And the Betty Davis monologue is like a minute 15 or a little less than that, like minute 13 or something, minute 12. It's worth watching the movie for that because it really is a fine piece of acting. It's some of the best acting I've ever seen. Just here, um, the facial expression, you know, the subtleties, how she rolls her shoulder back. Like, did you really just say that to me? Because uh, you disgust me. By now, you know, realize ta the, the tables are flipped on her. Like, it's him who's saying, you disgust me. Then she was not having that. She said, I, I disgust you. <laughs> you know, me, I disgust you. You know. 
and she says, oh, Griffiths and me, whoever and me, so, uh, Miller and me, Griffiths and me, so laugh at you. I mean, it is literally, if you've never seen that scene, I think you, um, it, it, it's just, if you want to know some of the great actress, let them recite that scene, or just give them the script, and say, look, you can ad-lib it if you want, because she does ad-lib it, because every time I look up the script, it's not, she doesn't, <laughs> she's not supposed to say, I think the big line that, that scene was supposed to be, because you're a mug, a mug, a mug, but she, the way she delivers it, first of all, it sounds like she's speaking another language, it sounds like she's, like, Italian or something, because that's something, like, Messina does, and, like, um, or Italian women do, Italian actors, where they repeat something like, you're a mug, a mug, a mug, like, something like that, or just, um, romance language, because you don't really hear, that's not really, like, a English thing, like, to repeat and say it like that, she really, it's just, you know, especially because, you know, she's playing uh, someone, she's playing an English woman, and she's not English, of course, but Abe Davis is an American woman, and, you know, so, and in a few years, she's going to want to play in Gone the Wind, and in a few years, she's going to be in Jezebel, so it's just amazing um, that she's playing on an English accent, a lower-class English accent, but an English accent, nonetheless, it wasn't like she was talking like, um, you know, some very fancy, posh English accent, no, it was, um, she does a very good job, if you ask me. Anyways, that scene alone is worth an episode. We can just talk about great acting. I think if you ever want to see how good someone is an actress, just hand them the script and say, here's the script for this movie. Here's the script. I want to hear you. You can add a little bit, but I want to hear you do it. And, you know, have someone be Leslie Howard and just see how they do. Because this is an amazing amazing see it's just and it's so impactful because you read the script the big like every line is big i think if you read the script the only big line is supposed to be you're a mug a mug you give me like a you give me like a monster maybe but she makes every line just so bombastic so impactful i mean it's truly um a great piece of acting and I think it is definitely worth knowing. It, I've rewatched that scene like a million times because I watched this movie the first time yesterday morning, and I've watched this scene a million times. Um, this movie's—I think this movie's better than Jezebel. Jezebel is also a very good movie, great movie. This movie's better. Um, I just like this movie better. Um, very relatable movie too, especially if I feel like if you're a male character, even if you're a female character, I think you could relate. But a male character—what am I talking about? If you're a man or whatever, and, and, and if you're if you're a dude, this is a very relatable movie, very relatable, and if you're a woman, it's probably very relatable too, because everybody, I feel like everybody in their life feels like, maybe a lot of people in life have felt like a Philip, or have seen the situation in people, you know, very good movie, um, anyways, so, after this scene, directly, she like burns down a bunch of stuff in this house, she burns a bunch of um, stuff that would, I believe she burns I you know what I'm not I wasn't alive in nineteen so I'm gonna, I would miss uh, label it but she burns like his ability like money like a bunch of paintings and stuff in his house so you can't even really I think she burns his bonds and what the hell they were um <laughs> yeah so and she obviously. His little cell eye clothes. I'm sorry, I'm still on this scene. The cell eye clothes in the end of this scene when she mentions, you're a cripple, cripple, cripple. Uh, just Leslie Howard closing his eyes like 
those words really scathed and like really bothers them. I think it's just great. Anyway, so in that scene, the next scene, she wrecks his apartment, blah, blah, blah. Paintings, bonds, whatever. Um, yeah, so he cannot really finance his tuition now. So he, he ends up having to quit medical school because of this. Um, but he he gets an operation to, to correct his club foot and guess who's there? Um, Nora, not Nora, I'm sorry. Um, I think her name is Sally. Sally, I think it's her name. Sally. I'm gonna, we're gonna go with Sally. The 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 the, old, the patient's daughter. That's that's Sally. So um, she's there though. She was there. Very supportive woman, you know. And uh, he ends up with the job. Uh, first of all, they give him work and they uh, take him in, right? So. Uh, I think that's when he gets that job. Anyways, eventually, you know, um, time passes by, and he, his uncle, dies and leaves him an inheritance, but it's enough t for him to return to med school, passes his tests, and become a doctor. He's a physician now, and eventually, you know, um, he sees a patient or. Or they, I believe he sees a patient um, who now has, uh, sorry about that in the mic, but uh, he meets a patient who has tuberculosis. And that patient just so happens to be uh, Mildred. You know, he examines her and tells her, look, it's, you know, basically it's tuberculosis, whatever. And she's very, um, her, her future prospects bad at this point. Um, they, the movie, I believe, I, I didn't really pick up on the hint when I watched it. The movie kind of hints that she's a prostitute, apparently. Um, I didn't really get that vibe, but I think she is. At this point, she's working as a prostitute, and that wouldn't surprise me. Um, her baby also has died at this point, and she's just, her future looks terrible. She's very depressed. Um, but before... Philip ever sees her again, um, she passes. And they don't even let Philip say, say, no, you don't want to see this, like, you know, whatever is because Philip said, oh, I heard there's a very bad case. They said, no, trust me, you don't want to, you know, and he knows that means, you know, she, you know, it's not only is it her, but she's dead. And, um, but with Mildred passing away in a charity hospital ward, it's very, her character is honestly very depressing. We can get into some character analysis on her and Leslie Howard. Character, uh, Betty Davis and Leslie Howard, so Philip and uh, Mildred, we can get into a little character analysis. Um, you know, after her death, you know, Philip feels free to like his obsession because even after this, like, he's still, even after he says, You disgust me, he still wanted to like check up on her because he was still, you know, even though he said, uh, I believe earlier in the movie, he, she, he says, um, I've always, basically I'll always like you, you know, I'll always want you, and it's kind of sad, because to see someone who's so, like, in love with someone, and it's just not reciprocated, but he also says that, early when he breaks up with Nora, that, um, you know, um, it sucks that some, so often in love, it's one who loves and one who is loved, which is a great line, and a great way of thinking about it, um, yeah, this is amazing. Anyways, this, this movie is great. Um, a lot of great lines. I'm telling you, this movie is a hidden gem. It's free on YouTube, so in color too. 
Uh, but watch this in black. It's better in black and white than in color. You know, but um, yeah, so she dies and he's finally freed of his obsession. At the end of the movie, he's there with Sally and they're, I believe he had the opportunity to go and work on a ship. Um, but he turns it down because he, he wants to live. He wants to be with the love of his life, Sally. Someone that actually reciprocates the love he, he felt for someone else. And he is free. He feels free. He feels great to be eating. I feel like I'm living finally. It feels great to be alive. You know, that's how the movie ends. So I, I mean, this movie did not take long to really break down. Like basically, give you like a quick synopsis. Only like half. Well, that's still kind of long. It. I mean, I I love this movie. I probably spent like five minutes talking about that one scene. I love this movie. Um, I really do. I can recommend it enough. Um, just the type of psychological games and the manipulation I love it um, we can do some quick character analysis let's start with I'm going to start with Betty Davis I like her character she's, favorite, my, she's my favorite character <laughs> uh, I love Betty Davis uh, I would say she's my favorite actress it's called the I Stand the Scene podcast so we can't quite do that but wink wink you might be surprised um, her and Julianne are definitely my two favorite actresses ever um anyway so when we, let's talk about I will say she makes herself look English very well like she I don't know she passes off English very well <sighs> anyways um I, I think Mildred actually has maybe the most interesting psychological makeup in the entire movie I was just thinking why would you say she has the most interesting psychological makeup well I'll tell you why um I will say this is the the most uh interesting um I would say this is the most interesting she has the most interesting because um she she's not you don't think she's a deep character she actually is you think she's just a bad person but I will say she's a deep character because she clearly has self-esteem issues. She clearly has, you know, um, uh, I want to say not only self-esteem issues, but uh, um, self-identity issues uh, and just different mental issues. I would say, I'd say the biggest is probably self-esteem. Um, the way she talk, communicates with people um, sense of worth. You can tell she doesn't have the most self-worth a lot of times in this movie. Um, and, you know, and all that stems from the way she treats Phillips. I, I think she, we don't, they don't, the movie doesn't really get into how she was brought up, but it's safe to assume that she was brought up in very nasty circumstances. Um, so maybe her family life wasn't very good. And it, it nurtured a very bad seed someone who was just did not really know how to feel loved like she liked the uh the the, the masculine you know uh, i suppose ultra masculine male as opposed to philip who's that's look he's a sensitive guy you know he's a very caring guy but um that's what much she she can identify i suppose a good man maybe because she didn't go up around that but um Oh, was Philip clingy? Sure. Philip had his own flaws, but we'll get into that. 
And then she, you know, at some point in life, you have to help each other. Um, but anyways, um, um, her, her character is just very interesting. And the, like, the I don't mind, like, you know, like, she liked playing with him. It's interesting why she liked playing with him. Um, and especially when she, especially once she realized it would bother him, you know, how she kept playing it up is very interesting. At least to me. I don't know. You tell me, is that interesting? How, just the way she, you know, uh, just the way she likes to bother people. Or, especially, um, Philip in the movie. And you could imagine this isn't the first time she's ever done that. Because at first, maybe you think she's just playing hard to get, but she was just playing hard. Not, she didn't want to be gotten, at least not by Philip. Um, she's an extremely manipulative character. She was just a lost person, you know. And a lot of that's probably due to circumstance. But she's ignorant, she's uneducated. Um, she sees a guy here, Philip, and a lot of times she feels like. You know, he's patronizing her or, you know, acting like he's better than her. Which, again, boils down to her self-esteem issues. So, she she felt like, you know, who is this really smart, proper, sensitive guy who has a club foot, which is another thing. She used to, you know, kind of make fun of him. Or, or he, Philip, well, Philip got the feeling that she really didn't like him because of the club foot, which is something that I think played in part of it obviously I don't think that was the ultimate reason why she wasn't inter- I think she wasn't interested because um, she viewed him as weak and a lot of times people project that um, you know sense of weakness in someone else is really their own sense of weakness as I think we see it in that scene the white my mouth scene just her sense of insecurity and weakness um, how uh, she felt no control over that situation um, so let's get into Philip really quickly. Philip's character is very interesting too. They both have very interesting psychological makeups. Philip also has self-esteem issues, but his really stem from his club foot. Um, his club foot, which like I said, in you know the 30s probably isn't the time to really want to have a disability. Um, I guess you don't ever want to have a disability. But definitely in the 30s, I would not want to be disabled because you see the way they talk about him or they t- people like talk about it. They're not they're not very sensitive about it. So Philip really can't stand, um, you know, the, the, the pain or the, uh, you know, the, the club foot, which is something he's more insecure about. He cares more about than what other people do. My, I, I must admit, he does care about it a lot. Like it bothers him a lot um but yeah uh he uh he I would say that his insecurity that's mostly what it's but also I think it stems from him feeling like inadequate and as like a weaker man because uh I suppose the club foot has held him back a lot. Maybe socially and romantically, he feels less than. So these are two characters who, I would say, have self-esteem issues and feel less than, right? But they both you they but they both the world has treated them in different treated them differently. For for Mildred's character, at least as crazy as she is, because she does have 
her own issues because Mildred, even she's still good, she can still attract men. It's just that it doesn't last because she's just genuinely not a good person and she attracts the wrong type of people because of the type of person she is, the type of pretty people she, she goes for. That's her fault. That's all, you know. And Philip just, um, when he does attract people, when he doesn't, he, he blows it, you know, or, or he doesn't attract anyone at all. So that's how they are in relation. And in relationships, Philip is very clingy, he's very insecure. And so is, but so is, so is Mildred, you could say. Mildred's very clingy. She's very insecure. Um, so that, but, but I think it's interesting because there are two genders have now conditioned it, have now changed their outcomes in life. Um, you know, there, there are two, I would say that's what it is. It comes down to there are two genders. That Philip is a man, can't get away with certain things, like maybe... Uh, Mildred can because she's a woman which it might be controversial to say but you know I don't think a lot of got because she was able to kind of bounce around from partner to partner much easier than Philip a lot more was expected of Philip and I think the odds of a woman constantly bringing the man back taking the man back and aren't as high as, as, a, as a man constantly bring, taking back in a woman you know the, the shoe was on the other foot literally which maybe in um, poor Phillips case is impossible because that club foot, but if she was on the other foot, hmm, it probably, it, I don't think this movie would be made. Like, it wouldn't, you know, there wouldn't be a woman, Mildred wouldn't be constantly bringing in Phil after he's fucking her over. That isn't as common. Although it can happen, but it's not as common, especially when he's so easily humiliating. Although, we've seen it in another movie, so maybe I'm wrong, we've seen it in like, other movies so but usually you know the woman does get out you know I feel like in those movies or or maybe she doesn't get out but she she I don't know she's more mentally matured because he was not I feel like a lot of these are more mentally matured than these men in these cases at least in films and in life um but anyways uh, moving on from that uh, I don't know how you, you let me know how you feel about that take I don't know. I'm open to... You can completely disagree. I'm, I'll probably agree with you. <laughs> you can completely say... You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. But, um... Yeah. So, let's move on. Um... Past just her psychological makeups. I just want some comments about the movie. Um... I think Betty Davis does a phenomenal job here. Um... I loved it. Uh... I think... I think they pulled it off very well. Um, Betty Davis um, was very young in this role, I must say. Um, you know, I, I thought it was very interesting. She was very young, and she played uh, a character, so such a vile character, because Ninja's not a good person. Such a vile character. Because um, she's not someone you really feel compassion for. She's not a good person. So you never feel compassion um, but you do feel, um, uh, empathy, perhaps, that's what Betty Davis said, you know, her understanding of Mildred's foulness wasn't compassion, but empathy, um, uh, and I think it's true, I, I think, 
you don't really feel bad, but you do feel sad for her. Because she's, she's, um, she is, she is who she is. I think this movie is very, it gets into realism very deeply, you know? Um, and, and I feel, you do still feel, you feel bad. Um, so, yeah. Um, I will say, look, I think this is, I think this is a, one of the better movies, one of her better performances, one of the better movies I've seen lately. I really did like it. I really did like it, and I think as people we can all relate to to Philip. I think I think everybody can relate to Philip. I think everybody's had a Mildred in their life. I will now never name or want to talk to someone named Mildred. It, she's one of the most vile people ever in a movie. She's just very vile, very rude, and very crude and unprofessional. Jezebel is a well. Who's worse, Jezebel or Mildred? I don't know, actually. Because Jezebel, I don't want to spoil Jezebel. But, I don't know. I feel like at their heart, Mildred's worse. I don't know. You let me know. Anyways. Um, thank you. Th I want to say thank you guys for listening. If you made it this far, be sure to follow me on Instagram at iStan. Messina and also Jerry Lesisco and also Tony Two Ys X H on it. These are all on Instagram. I'm also on TikTok now at Jerry Lesisco. I'm gonna eventually start using it. Not sure how, but we'll we'll have to figure that one out. <laughs> Anyways, um, I just want to say thank you guys for for listening. If you made it this far, thank you. If you made it this far. You're you're the goat. Remember that. So is Jerry West, but you're also the goat. But uh, thank you guys, and it's been it's been Tony at the Ice and Amnesty the podcast signing out.